Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising episode. And this week, we're going to focus in on a practical episode around job evaluation, Uh, Now, this is a topic that I know a bit about, but I kind of often wonder about, and uh, I think it's quite topical. I think it's often mixed up. And recently, I noticed that somebody, uh, a lady called Lisa Tomlinson, that some of you might have come across, um, she appeared to know a bit about it. Uh, I know you're not not saying you're a self-professed expert, but what we thought would be a useful conversation for us to have where you could share some of your practical tips Um, etc Lisa so thank you for joining me on the HR Uprising podcast Um, you are obviously you're the director and founder of Limelight People Group Um, you don't just focus on job evaluation in fact this is just this isn't even your specialist subject do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do as a day job yeah, absolutely. And um, thank you for having me, Lucinda. It was uh, really nice to be invited on on such a popular podcast. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm not an expert on job evaluation at all, but it is something that I've come across, um, you know, in my specific position uh, and some of the positions I've been in um, during my HR career. Uh, and it's it can be a really confusing area. So um, I was quite happy to come and talk talk about it and um, from my point of view uh, and more from a practical point of view I think than a kind of theory and you know research place yeah we like Um, practical here (laughs) because actually most of us we want practical stuff to know what to do so people might be listening thinking well I've been asked to do a job evaluation how do I go about it and what even is one so I think that's the angle that we definitely want to go in on Absolutely. So um, a bit about me. So I was head of people in commercial uh, development at Fircroft College for about five and a half years. Um, I took the leap during the pandemic and set up my own um, people consultancy. Uh, And we're specialists now in management and leadership development, um, people projects and optimising processes and coaching. Um, Yeah, it's been an interesting journey (laughs) so far this year, but I'm loving the variety. Uh, And I have worked on a few projects around um, not just job evaluation, but kind of competency and behaviour framework and benchmarking as well. So I've kind of widened my knowledge. And all of those topics kind of are often mentioned in the same subject, uh, so in the same sort of sentence, aren't they? So I think maybe a good starting point would be defining what would you, if someone asked, asked you to carry out job evaluation, what would you say that is? Yeah, and, and this is um, something that I've noticed as well on a lot of the HR forums when people are asking questions, often job evaluation, benchmarking, and sometimes even performance related pay or competency and behaviour frameworks, they, they're all linked. And there is grey areas, but they, they are quite separate things. 
Um, so job evaluation, and again, this is in my context and my experience, um, is an internal way uh, of um, ordering your jobs and structuring those jobs. And it often links to a pay structure. So where I came across job evaluation was working at the college where we had um, the Association of Colleges pay structure. So that is a pay scale that has like a scale one, scale two, scale three, scale four, et cetera. And each scale has four points and you can move anywhere within those four points. You tend to bring somebody on at the lowest point and then they get an increment, which moves them up to the next point until they hit a ceiling. And the ceiling is the top point of, say, scale one. And then the job can't move any further above that. Right. So it's um, like banding in the NHS and things like that as well. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. Grading in other public sector, mm-hmm. uh, pay banding. Um, so it's quite common in the public sector. And it's quite it's quite nice because it's open and transparent. I think it's something I've always appreciated, actually, um, being in the public sector, because um, a lot of private sector organisations pay isn't very transparent. And even to the point where you can't advertise pay on a job advert, um, I did a, a straw poll fairly recently, and I think 70% of people said they don't apply for jobs if the pay isn't advertised. Yeah. So actually, it can, you know, it can really link back to this kind of recruitment and retention piece. Um, that's, yeah, I saw that's a conversation on that, and you can see why, because that isn't transparent, can't you? It is interesting, though, coming from a private sector point of view, I think um, having been in private sector, looking at pay banding, it can look really restrictive um, as well, because so it's, it's almost like you're not, if you bring extra if you bring extra skills and obviously you do definitely see in the public sector people who are performing above their jo- their job different you know their band and they're but they can't be rewarded for it so it's it's a double-edged sword isn't it in terms of that yeah. and I suppose that's exactly where job valuation comes in you know is, is that's that's what that job is valued at those skills of that job but people might bring additional skills on top of it yeah absolutely and then and then you do have the market rate um, you know, factor as well. So if you have a very restrictive pay scale and then actually there's a real shortage of, you know, certain yeah. roles, which there is at the moment, um, you know, how, how do you then kind of move outside of that pay scale and um, make the role attractive to bring on somebody where you've got, you know, where you've got a shortage role? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, topic. Um, so we started talking about job evaluation and the difference between benchmarking and performance related pay. So um, as we said, the job evaluation is kind of internally um, linking to the pay structure and it's really useful for countering equal pay claims. Where that differs to benchmarking is that tends to be comparing externally. So it's also called market pricing. Um, and that tends to be where you, where you look at your pay, uh, the pay of your workforce and say, is it comparable to that externally? Are we paying at the right level of our competitors? Are we attracting the right people? So that tends to be more externally focused. Um, And then the competency and behaviours element comes in. If you've got something like performance-related pay and you're trying to work out, can I give my member of staff a pay rise, um, you know, based on their performance? And then how does that work with the pay structure? So with all of these processes... Um, some of the key things really that we want to avoid pay drift Uh, that's really common so um, you know sometimes the way that the pay structure works out you can get um, drift in terms of roles drifting way above market rates right Um, because people are paying increments or they get in-house pay pay rises or you haven't got a that they're going above the banding or something how I don't really understand how that would happen 
Yeah, so, so it can happen many different ways, um, but it can happen um, particularly if you've got a very generous manager and, um, you know, in the private sector where there's not yeah. a grading and a banding system. Mm-hmm. So they're giving performance related pay and they're given very generously year after year. Uh, and then suddenly that role is paid, you know, a, a percentage more than it would be externally. So your pay has drifted away yes. from what you disproportionately to the job that someone's doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so keeping an eye on those external market rates is one really important um, point, and one that job evaluation and benchmarking can both help with. So, so the basically, the job evaluation is looking at looking at the job. It's evaluating the job that you're doing in terms of the tasks, the responsibilities. So, would you look at? Um, and this is an interesting question, actually. So, job descriptions versus role profiles. It, you know, do you see them as interchangeable? As different? Different? terminology and I am assuming that's what you're looking at you're looking at what the key activities are um, and of the role so so with job evaluation it can work on um, on many different um different ways so there's analytical and non-analytical systems there's uh, manual systems that are done in-house and they're done through point scoring and they're quite objective and done by a panel um you know an x points equals this level for instance, but equally there's systems that do this that have been agreed on a national level through uh, the um, National Joint Committee, for instance, or councils often have an external system um, and they can work on a number of different things. So when I looked at this internally um, in, in the college and it was something we looked at over a number of years because it, it was really difficult to get it right with having such a small workforce as well, uh, that was something that we found really challenging. Mm. Um, how, and small, the, how big many did you have? Uh, well, it started at 35 and went up to about 85 at points and plus right. volunteers so as well. you have lots of individualised roles in that situation then, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my role, for instance, at one point was head of HR, plus looking after the kitchen, plus um, representing on the West Midland Combined Authority steering group. So, it, you know, it was a very unique place with very unique roles. So trying to group them together which job evaluation really um, works on often is trying to group roles, um, you know, into uh, a pool almost Um, that we found very challenging. But the way that we went about it was um, quite a common method, which is to look at key factors and grade the roles accordingly. So one of those factors might be management. And obviously a lower grade role would have no management responsibility. Mm -hmm. You then move up to managing maybe as a team leader you'd then move up to managing a wider team. Maybe then you'd have managing budgets, managing key areas. Maybe then you'd have managing strategically uh, and then maybe managing even externally and representing on you know, wider um, policy groups, for instance. So that, that's quite a, a, um, a clear explanation of how a job evaluation um, factor can work at different levels. So then you might have responsibility, then you might have decision-making um, and you'd look at all of these factors, you'd grade the person with a number, and then you'd add the numbers up and you'd say between this score and this score is a scale one, between this score and this score is a scale two. So that's a, that's a really kind of simple analytical job evaluation system that you would do manually. You'd probably have a panel um, decide and then you'd have an appeal process as well. Um, and of course, if you put that type of um, system into place, you'd want to make sure that you consulted staff on that, consulted the unions. Um, but if you're you know, making a change to it. Yeah, clear, clear transparency. So, so, you, so if I take management out, because I think management is a, a really an interesting one, isn't it? And sometimes if that's the only way to progress, that can end up 
um, having challenges in its own right because you end up with people in management roles or line management roles who have no aptitude for people but if we said yeah. something like decision making or responsibility as as um as something and and i'm thinking about a project manager or someone in terms of it's almost like seniority of the role in terms of that so the the, the level of risk maybe they are owning or the responsibilities they're taking so you obviously look at the role i suppose one of the key things of course is you look at the role rather than in, than the individual which of course Absolutely. must be particularly hard in a small business like your own because it's hard to dis- differentiate that role from the individual but you look at the role what is the requirement of the role what level of responsibility or decision making do you need that to have and you rank it in terms of of level of risk or whatever and I guess you you therefore would look to remunerate accordingly but and, and right. you validate it with your panel yeah that's right yeah so so you rank the roles based on the factors that you've decided um you know it's a matrix a matrix system just like you'd have for a redundancy process where you put a matrix in place um similar concept so you'd rank them and then you'd link that to your pay scale so so if i'm visualizing my matrix then i might have the roles down one side oh no would i have the competence what would i have competencies and level what would be the two what would be the axes um, so uh, the axes that we had on ours were the factors across the top. So we had uh, professional, technical and procedural knowledge, complexity of tasks, decision making, line management, responsibility for resources, um, mental effort or level of concentration or emotional demands, which is an interesting one, um, cross college working and management responsibility. So there's there's quite a few there. And you call um, those factors rather than competencies or because they, they are variable, aren't they? They're not really behavioural competencies, are they? The fa- factors. Is that the, is that the official term? Um, is that, no, is that your term? I don't know. Someone, maybe someone will tell us, is there an official term for this? Is there an official term? I think factors is fine. Factors work. Um, yeah, competence. Yeah, competencies as well would work. Uh, and I've, I've seen these as well, where there's um, use of um, machinery or use of equipment. Um, you yeah. know, so, so, they, so you can interchange those with whatever. Maybe that's why facts is quite good, because it, it could be skills, skill, knowledge yeah. or competency almost. So, you're, but, it's, but it's basically a criteria that you're, a, criteria. you objectively understood what it was that you could apply to that. And then, yeah. sorry, and what, and then you leveled it. Yeah, and then it's what's relevant really for your organisation. So that will be completely different depending on the sector. Um, and then uh, down the other axes for us would have been the the points and the scale and how those work. So between such and such um, points equals this scale. Um, now it sounds great. Uh, it's objective. It's analytical. Um, you know, like a matrix, like a scoring matrix. Mm. Um, it comes with all these benefits. What I found in practice when I actually did this project was quite a few anomalies. So you'd have, um, you know, and I, and I think you'd find this with any organisation. You might have somebody that is at, um, at the, the lower scales across the board, but then for one particular area, you know, they score quite highly. Um, and that's why having those ranges is really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're doing something that's outside. And again, I bet that is yeah. particularly the case in smaller organisations um where you know people have got different hats on and they you know it, it maybe it may not be all all at that same level no 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 and you might you might have one or two uh, of the factors there that score more highly and, and pull that role up um you know but you almost have to build in a little bit of flexibility because in an ideal world it would work in the real world <laughs> like we said at the beginning you know you've got market factors you've got shortage areas you've got all these other other areas 
so you do need to build in that little bit of flexibility as well you've also got that whole thing of discretionary effort um, and it's almost you can over job evaluate. So I think the flip side of in a larger organisation where people are very strongly banded is they almost go, well, uh, you know, when people say, well, that's above my pay scale kind of thing, people almost choose not to bring that additional um, effort or you know, talk as though they do because they don't see that it's recognised or valued. I mean, that's a sort of more philosophical question. Do you think, because you, 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 you see it as a good thing, certainly, and I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I haven't got it wrong. I don't know what else you'd do instead. But do you see it as a good thing always? It, you know, what are the pros and cons of job evaluation? Yeah, well, it's a really interesting point you make. So the discretionary effort, so that that I would put in a different category, which is the performance-related pay and the, and the competency and behaviours framework. Right, so it's and how that's people do it. it. Yeah, that's where you get these three separate things that all have to interlink. So you've got the benchmarking to make sure that you're not getting that pay drift. Um, you're getting the job evaluation to um, uh, counter equal pay claims and to um, be open and transparent with how the structure works in your organisation. And then you've got the performance related pay or the kind of um, performance management. So we we wouldn't yeah. have performance related pay necessarily, but you'd have the performance management. And that's where... Um, you know, the discretionary effort might be recognised um, or underperformance would be picked up. Um, so whether mm. I think it's a good thing or not, um, I like open and transparent mm. pay systems. For me, um, it's something I think um, I've worked in organisations where it's not been open and transparent. And I think I've seen more issues and felt more issues myself as a female and, you know, as in my roles I think I've seen more issues where it's not open and transparent so I do like it being open and transparent um I think it just the system needs to be done really well um because it's got to triangulate between those three points so it can't just be job evaluation you know because that's internal that's navel gazing yeah. it can't just be market rates because that discounts how people are working together in an organization um and the performance management has to complement them both yeah, and, and I and I do take your point. It is transparent. And I think, of course, people doing things like gender pay gap reporting and actually um, diversity and inclusion. If you're wanting to do this, you need to be making sure we're comparing like with like. So I guess that's where we have to start with the job evaluation before we put any of those other criteria against it. Um, and I, again, I think your, your triangulation point is really well made. So your job evaluation, you need to make sure that the range of reward within there fits against market wet rate appropriately and you don't get your drift and we've talked about how can you reward or motivate discretionary efforts so that might be through behavioral competencies and you might I guess I'm interested where objectives sit in this I guess objectives would probably be in discretionary effort if you do PRP and your job evaluation is measuring your day job so it would go back to being your job description or role profile would that be the case? Yeah, so that, that's that's the key point, really, isn't it? The job evaluation is about the role. You know, it's no, never about the person. It's, the it's never day, about it's the day in, day out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's about, it's about the role. It's what is that role? You know, what does the job description say? What What is that role there to do? Um, you know, whereas the performance management is about the person and how they're performing. Yeah. Um, you know, but you've got to have a system where the two complement each other. So, the, you know, there can be friction between some of these processes. Mm. Um, and, and that's the point is they've all got to kind of flow together. So if we were going to go in a really sort of noddy 
sort of step-by-step way and I've never done this before and I haven't got any sort of base experience of this as I'm completely brand new into an organization it's my first HR job um, so I don't even understand what an HR you know I don't understand any of this really this context could we work through it in a kind of in a in a straightforward way as well where would you start in terms of this I mean, I can certainly tell you about my journey and where I started. Like yeah. I said, I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't profess to be an expert in this, but I can tell you about my journey with it, you know, which wasn't straightforward. So um, when I first looked at job evaluation, the reason we were looking at it was um, because uh, in public sector, you get um, unions, unionised, yes. um, and often they, they push for, um, you know, fair, fair uh, job evaluation systems, um, you know, quite rightly to make sure that... Um, the terms and conditions are fair for their members. So uh, that was what triggered me to look at it. Um, I then went through a whole process of, um, first of all, we made sure all of our job descriptions were up to date. Luckily, we'd done a full restructure, so they all were. So we, we started from a really great place of having yeah. job descriptions up to date. Um, I think if there's many organisations where that's not the case. <laughs> Let me just pause you there. Ask. So so yeah. I've got somebody who goes, ah, oh, that, well, that, I'm not even off the starting blocks. My job yeah. descriptions are not up to date. What do you need to do? What what do I need to do to get a job description up to date? What would what steps would I take? Um, so I, I would, um, and what we did really was um, put that out to managers and say, have those conversations with your team members. Um, you know, maybe create a, a really good template so um, I know I'm working with an organisation at the moment where there's no, all the job descriptions look very different because all managers have done their own job descriptions as they've gone along. So you may have five people doing the same role with all different job descriptions that all look really different. So I'd create a really good um, template. Um, if you are looking at something like a competency and behaviour framework, that can also be included. So you can have the duties of the job yeah. But then you can also have, you know, the key competencies at that level that the job's at, maybe some key behaviours, maybe the values of the organisation. Yeah, and um, certainly I remember our back, that's what we had in, in terms of um, job role profiles. We had this ideal little level of competency at, for that particular role and level. Um, on that, with the job search, where you've got disparate definitions did you then have to get people together and sort of say right we need to build a job family template or something like that where you know if you've got five different five people doing the same job on paper but they've got five different job descriptions presumably you've got to harmonize that in some way you've got to get them together to agree what the what the consistent aspects are yeah absolutely and uh, you know with any change you know I would say having it having it driven at the very lowest level it can be and from the people that the change affects is the most fundamental point to making things like so this talk work. to them about what's the same what's the yeah. same what are the similarities about the job that you're all doing so what if you engage people almost facilitate that definition and agree what the key deliverables are um, yeah, yeah. and with any of these kind of changes putting in the work at the, the beginning so making sure that, that everybody's on board with it from the start mm-hmm. that you work in conjunction with people to develop this um you know it's not a kind of thing yeah. that's done in the background um you know that that gets buy-in and prevents so many issues later on definitely definitely. you know what you wouldn't want to do is kind of work in work in all of this in your office or your head and then announce it to everybody and then have to deal with all those issues coming back and and you've got it wrong because of course they know what they're doing as well if you haven't you've got to engage who is their job that they're doing on a day-to-day basis so definitely which means by definition it's time consuming (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) and And i've got to say i've got to just get it in there that with job descriptions actually i i 
you know, I'm a little bit towards the school of do we even need job descriptions? They're out of date from the day they're written, Um, which does conflict with this. But this is talking more about an infrastructure and process issue, um, you know, in conjunction with many other structures and processes. Um, But yeah, with job descriptions, there is a whole question, isn't there? Do we even need them? Yeah, yeah, it's and it's, 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 it's a mass, massive challenge there, definitely. And and um, so, but so it's almost this is like a macro version of a job description. So if if you had a job description, we've identified that there are six, for argument's sake, um, deliverables that your role is all about. Um, and if I'm in the same, I've got the same job title as you. There's commonality between all of us about those six. We all do those to a greater or lesser extent. Maybe we do it to different customers or different groups, but they, those are overall our deliverables or responsibilities. So then, um, so then you've got those. Is that what you then would map? How do you get those responsibilities and align them with your uh, the criteria we were talking about, the factors? Because they wouldn't. Um, is that is that a judgment call? Is that a panel thing? How do you map those? And also, how did you determine the factors in the first place? Did that was that a top down thing? Um, so determining the factors um, really linked to the strategic objectives of the organisation, as everything in these type of processes should do. So you need to map it right from, you know, what's the goal? What's the mission? What, you know, what, what are we trying to achieve? Um, and then look to complement that with the factors that you're taking into account. You know, so um, if, for instance, you're looking at innovation, um, because your organisation needs to, you know, it's, it's a tech company and you need to have lots of creativity and innovation. You want to make sure that that's a theme, you know, yes. right through any process that you're that you're working on like this. So one of those factors might be, um, you know, at, at what level do you have to innovate? You know, are you are you in charge of innovating a brand new project uh, product for the organisation? You know, and that that could be one of the factors. So it's got to be really contingent on what your organisation so you does. Take, and you take innovation and almost define one to four's worth of innovation, like very basic yeah. ideas and in, in, in terms of something right up to, you know, you know master plan pro, new product innovation. So you've got yeah, level, levels of that. Um, yeah, because you'd want innovation right throughout the company. So, you know, even the very, you know, the, the lowest role in that range, you'd want them to innovate a new process and or a new way of doing things. Um, you know, maybe digitise a process, for instance, you know, but at the very, very top level, you'd want that person to be innovating, you know, a new market to sell into, a yeah. new product to sell. So, okay, you know, so you get more points at the top, four points at the top one, one point to innovation, and, that, and that's how you then start to map it. And But what, you, what you've just defined there is quite good, isn't it? Because you're basically getting the strategic bit by the factors, you're pulling the strategy, and you're getting the bottom up bits in terms of the actual deliverables. Um, and, and, sort of evaluating literally doing that evaluating against it the extent to which those factors fit yeah absolutely and this is looking at what uh, how how does that role need to innovate and the difference if you were doing the the performance management side of it is how innovative is that person being in their role different yeah and that's why and that's completely different so what's the role need to and that's where i guess you have the panel and people be going oh yeah but you know fred blogs He's incredibly innovative. We look at, well, you know, he's delivered, but he's going, but actually he's in, that's great. It's great that he does that, but actually the role he's in only requires him to be a two, or that's, yes. that's really what's required of that role. Yeah, because it's about the role, not the person for job evaluation. And then, so you've got your, your matrix, your job evaluation matrix, you've worked out the job titles. There's a consistency in terms of how, you, how people got them, maybe whether their families of seniority of, of roles, because that's, again, I, I refer to this family thing. I remember we did a similar role when I was at Siemens and, um, 
it was about almost clustering together those families because also it linked to behavioural competencies there. And then you'd have what was quite good about that is that you could then have a career path within a specialism as well, because it was the same deliverables, but higher stakes, if that makes sense, in terms of those deliverables as people went went up there yeah and, and actually that that's a really great point as well because because you see a lot of that at the moment in terms of um you know when you've got a specialist and specialists in in many areas are so hard to find right now because of the skills shortage you know what you don't want to be putting a ceiling and saying oh well because you're just a specialist and you're not managing you're not going off yeah. to be a manager you can't then develop so you do need to create those pathways um even when people aren't going into management and you know, yeah, exactly. career pathway. Yeah, definitely to, to retain and engage people. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, so I think I've got a reasonable idea about how you give it how you give it a stamp. Any other tips that you'd have for somebody who might be engaging on job evaluation? Any other learnings or or suggestions? Um, I mean, my my key tip, which we've said about all along, is involve everybody. So any process that affects people, involve them right from the start as much as you can. If there's unions there, involve them as well. You know, get managers in, speak to the people. So often when there's a job evaluation process, um, if an external company is doing it, they'll come in and they'll interview all the people and they'll get that qualitative feedback as well. You know, not just look at the job description. They'll hear what actually happens in that role. Um, Make it as objective as possible. So anywhere where you can take out subjectivity, um, like yeah. with any of these processes, you know, take, take that out. Um, use a panel, um, you know, diversity and inclusion as well. You know, really think about um, the more objective you can make it, the better that is for your DNI objectives, Absolutely. because any subjectivity is where, um, you know, discrimination or bias can come into play. So, yeah, definitely having panels, always have the right to appeal as well. Um, there is organisations out there uh, that can really help with this as well, um, particularly if it's more the benchmarking side that you're after. Um, there's quite a lot of organisations externally that can give you that benchmarking data as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's my point. <laughs> that's my, my yeah, tips so and advice from my point of view. <laughs> great. And we'll keep it like that because that's really practical and specific to that topic area. Because like you say, the, the other was you've got your PRP, you can start to muddy the water, we can go into benchmarking. Those are all different things that people can go into, but that's quite a clear, um, a clear approach than if we wanted to take on job evaluation. Um, and I say, I, I think it's so pertinent at the moment with all the focus on how do you make sure you've got fairness across a piece in terms of the, the benchmarking metrics, etc. Yeah, thank you. I mean, if, if, if you are in a private sector organisation and you haven't got transparent pay at the moment, you know, and you're thinking, where do I start? Because, you know, you maybe need to bring in a pay, a pay structure, a pay system. You maybe then need to have some kind of job evaluation. You maybe then need to kind of benchmark externally and make sure that you, you're hitting those points. You know, then maybe um, come out with a performance-related pay. It feels like a lot. Yeah. Um, but I would say, like anything, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Just look at it a little bit at a time and just, you know, don't be overwhelmed by um because it's such a big system really that all has to interfere but don't be overwhelmed you know it can be done a little bit at a time um and other organizations I've seen don't work on the scales and the point system either they work on um things like finding a median for the role and um you pay either 90 percent or 125 percent of that so um I don't think I followed that so explain that a bit what you mean by median (laughs) for the role (laughs) yeah so um so 
as I explained with the public uh, with the public sector ones, you maybe have scales like a scale one. You have four points. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm working with another organisation at the moment, and they've benchmarked to identify what the median pay would be for every role. So if okay. the median is, um, you know, ten thousand, it wouldn't be, but just for argument's yeah. sake. So what they'll do is bring somebody on, and the lowest said pay is ninety percent of that. Okay. So nine thousand. Yeah. And the maximum that somebody would be able to achieve 12. is. Is twelve and a half thousand because they pay up to one hundred twenty-five percent. So there's different ways to do this. There's loads of different ways that can work for your organisation. Um, you know, don't be put off because it sounds like a big chunky thing. But that's but they must have defined what the role was in the first place in order to say we're paying between nineteen one two five though, right? Because that's that's how they've applied the benchmark to that role. So they were clear of what it is. But you're saying that that's not it's not a range. I got it. Sorry. So they're rather than saying you can progress, you can pro- progress. Um, through various elements of that role it's just this role pays within this these boundaries yeah that's right so they're not saying you've got a scale one a scale two a scale three yeah what they're saying is this is the pay you know for for this role this is the median pay we've got an external company that's told us that so our range now is 90 percent to 125 percent of that role and that's so keep it simple yeah so that's that's keeping it simple um, in terms of the the benchmarking and the market um, pricing no okay that, that's helpful um lisa if anyone wants to um link i know you're on social media and stuff how can they get hold of you if they want to connect with you um yeah so i'm on i'm on linkedin um it's lisa tomlinson and i'm also um we run the happy hr group on facebook as well with a happy um, with an i isn't it happy with an i that's right yeah. uh, and we, we uh, it's for strategic hr conversations rather than the kind of transactional side um so yeah contact me on either and um, i'll happy happily help if i can as ever, we'll put, make sure we've got the links in the show notes, hruprising.com. We'll put the links to the Facebook group um, and your LinkedIn profile as well, Lisa. Thank you so much Thanks. for coming on. I'm hoping, we're hoping to hear from you again, aren't we, on the topic of supervision at some point in the future. So we'll just leave that there as a teaser for people because that's another area I know you can talk about um, really eloquently. So thanks so much for joining us on the HR Uprising podcast, Lisa. Thanks, Lucinda. Thanks for having me. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.